Ready to boost sales and grow your business without the BS? Welcome to the Business Growth Show. I'm Sam Dunning, a digital marketing, sales, and business growth evangelist. Tune in and subscribe today as I'll be interviewing business leaders, experts, and entrepreneurs from around the globe. We'll be sharing actionable tips across marketing, sales, and growth without the BS to help you skyrocket your business. And welcome back to a fresh episode of the Business Growth Show. I'm your host, Sam Dunning, co-owner over at webchoiceuk.com. And today I'm joined by Rajiv Nathan, Rajiv, known, as, known as the heavyweight champion of story. Rajiv is the founder of Startup Hype Man. He helps com- growing companies not suck at telling their story. So they stand out to their audience, stand apart from competitors and break through in their category. Rajiv, a warm welcome to the show, sir. How are you doing? Thank you for having me. Appreciate appreciate uh, being on the show with you. No worries, dude. So looking forward to this one. And we're going to be talking all about why you need to reverse engineer your sales demos. And a lot of people are probably thinking, what the heck? What does that even mean? Like, this sounds really uh-huh. silly, Sam, but we're going to dive into why it works and the, the nuts and bolts and how it's going to help business owners, marketers, salespeople alike to ramp up their sales demos and drive that all-important revenue cash in the bank and get those sales over line. But first of all, Rajiv, I want to know from your side, I want to chuck you in at the deep end, as I often do with guests. What do you think really sucks about most sales demos that you see run? Ooh, love that question. So I guess I'll start by saying, I think most demos just period suck. Right. Uh, and I think what makes them suck is the fact that they're since they're called a demo, Everyone thinks what they're supposed to do on that call is give a 30 to 45 minute tour of the software. And I, and I don't know who's to blame for this. Maybe it was like Oracle or Salesforce years ago who originally like put the button that says request a demo on their website. And then yep. everyone followed suit from there. But this idea that you're getting someone on the call to just beat them over the head with like your backend dashboard, you know, your admin panel for 40 minutes and show them every button and all that stuff. Um, it, do- it doesn't really work that well, even for like the, you know, and, and I'll always get pushed back and be like, well, we, you know, we have really like technical buyers and I'm like, great on a first interaction. Like they, they also, they, they still don't need to see like the most technical aspects. I mean, do you maybe yeah. get an outlier person here or there? Sure. But that shouldn't be your standard. You can always do something that's more technical later on in the sales process if it's required. But as an upfront, all these demos are really, really sucky because they are giving you the tour of the software. They are literally giving you a demonstration, right? Which is the longhand for demo. And yeah. we should we shouldn't be thinking of the call as that. It should it should be something totally different from that. Gotcha. So to tee this up a bit, and I've certainly sat on my fair share of sales demos. I mean, we get pitched them all the time here at WebChoice, and I've had kind of demos where reps haven't even run discovery calls, and they've they've even pitched it as something else, Rajiv. So they said, like, we want to offer your business something. So I'm kind of curious. I'm like, yeah, I'll take a 15-minute call with you. And then you literally sit through kind of a slide deck of them just running the A to Z of every feature that they've possibly got on their, their system or their software as a service ever, and you've fallen asleep five, seven minutes into it. Um, so what, what's the answer here? Where, why is this going wrong? Does it start with management? Is it the sales rep's fault? I mean, where, where is it all going wrong? Well, I think it depends on the stage of the company, right? If the company's in its initial growth stage, I think it's probably starting with the founder or the owner who 
built the product or was very close to the product from day one. So mm. it's almost like they're like so proud of what they're showing that they want you to see it all. And then that gets like, as they start to hire people, that's the standard practice that gets taught. And I will say there's a lot of cases where when the founder is still doing the sales, like they're able to get by with that just purely on like the fact that they have this zeal and enthusiasm that no one else does. And that yeah. like that ends up like overtaking everything and, and pushing through the sale, just pure like, like sweat equity is pushing <laughs> through the sale. Right. Sure. Um, because you can't match that level of excitement that they would have about their own product. But then like the first hire you have, there's no way they are going to match that same level of enthusiasm. The second hire will be a little bit less than the first hire and so on and so gotcha. forth. So I think, I think it starts, especially at a, at a company that's just in that, you know, initial stage of growth. I think it starts with that founder, that owner doing it that way. And then that becomes a standard practice from there. Um, as companies get bigger, what tends to happen is it's really hard to just like gain alignment on one way. And so yep. everyone just kind of starts doing their own thing. And mm -hmm. if the head of sales or the, you know, the different regional heads of sales aren't regularly meeting with their team, checking in, if there isn't a consistent way to say, this is, this is at least like the baseline. Sure. You're going to have some personalization based on who you're talking to, but this is the baseline we're trying to follow without that. And without regularly reviewing calls, yeah. um, you know, using a platform like Gong or Wingman or whatever it might be, um, you're you're never going to like have a way to say, well, here's a, here's where we're going wrong. Here's what we should improve on it. Gotcha, gotcha. Interesting. We can we can get into that in a bit more depth. Now, what what's the right way to attack it? So we've talked about kind of what you shouldn't do. Kind of run through everything your software has to offer ever, because you'd probably be on a three hour call and you'd certainly send me to sleep if not half of your prospects. So what yeah. what's the correct way to to attack demos? I think the first thing is to adopt the right mindset about this. And, you know, every company that I work with, the first thing that I tell them is like, okay, we, like, here's the, here's the mentality we need to have around this. Stop thinking like an entrepreneur. If you're the owner, stop thinking like an account executive, if you're the salesperson and instead start thinking like an entertainer, why an entertainer? Well, because an entertainer has one goal in mind. And that is make an emotional connection with their audience, right? They're solely, they are 100% focused on how do I deliver a great experience for them, right? The musician, the, 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 the artist goes on stage, not, not saying how do I look amazing by playing every song I've ever come up with, right? By showing them every feature in my catalog, if you will. But instead, they say, how do I get them to like leave this arena feeling something, buzzing about something? And by doing that, I know, I'm gonna, I know it's going to reflect well back on me. But I'm just here to make sure that they leave this arena talking about something uh, and have a certain energy when they leave this, this stadium. So similarly, like, that's, the, that's the, like, the mindset everyone needs to adopt out of the gate. And then once we have sure. that mindset in play, right? Yep you're going to naturally start being more audience focused than you will be product focused or solution focused. And when you're in that frame of mind, you can run a cleaner demo. And this is where like the, you know, like the formatting really matters or the call flow, if you will, really matters. Okay. And so when I work with companies, what we like to adopt is a call flow. And, and I will say there's a, there's a little bit of variance just based on what's being sold. 
right? And then are they breaking it into a discovery call, then a demo, or is it all one call? But let's just, you know, generally speaking, you know, the, the, a good flow to follow is number one, you set an agenda yep. for the call. Number two, you then you, after you come off that agenda and you deliver your company's, I call it your point of view statement. I'll come yeah. back to that in a second. I'll get through the whole framework and I'll come back to what I mean. Yeah. That. From there, you go into discovery. After discovery, you deliver your company's elevator pitch. You use the elevator pitch to tee up a presentation deck. And you talked about slides earlier. I'll, I'll, I'll come to why it works if it's done well. Um, after you do the slides, then depending on what you sell, you either then go into a brief, brief software demonstration or the buyer's already bought in enough to where you don't even need to do that because the slide deck works so well and you can yeah. start talking about next steps. And if you do the demo, then after that, you figure out your next step. So should we break so down kind of each one of those sections? Yeah, yeah let's, let's jump into each one. So it sounds like there's five points to this, Rajiv. Um, sure. Yeah, I'm interested to I know kind of how this... Maybe it's, it's maybe this. Maybe I'm just really bad at counting. <laughs> <laughs> Probably the latter. Um, so we'll break down those point seven. Um, and yeah, I mean, starting with kind of why why this reverse kind of psychology, why this reverse engineering works, and then talking about kind of what an agenda would look like, so we can so that our listeners, our watchers, can put this into play. Yeah. So let's talk about that. So the, the, the first part of this is setting the agenda, right? And this is what I, I, I do a lot of call reviews as part of my work. Um, on behalf of teams. And this is one of the biggest things that I harp on that most sellers, most founders, most salespeople are overlooking um, is setting a clean agenda at the start of the call. Basically telling them like, hey, like here's like the run of show for today. Here's what I'd like. Here's how I see today working. The reason you want to do, I just wrote an article about this actually. Like the reason you want to do this, it's, it's, like, it's not just that you're like giving them like a table of contents for the call. What you're actually doing is creating some like guardrails and mile markers for what's going to happen over the next 30 minutes to an hour. And by doing that, you're like, you're giving them something to like latch onto mentally. So they don't wander or get bored or, or they're less likely to do those things anyway, or be like, where is this going? And you not only like create that agenda for them for that purpose, but then you also do it to gain mutual buy-in to how the call is supposed to work today. Yep. So you get the agenda, then you ask, does that sound okay by you? Yeah, it does. Okay, great. And then you also say, perfect. Is there anything that you want to add to that or anything you want to make sure we covered today? And then you get their input. Now they'll say, no, no, what you said sounds great. I'll be like, well, I, you know, there's one thing that's on our mind. We want to make sure we talk about that. Okay, great. I've got that down. We'll make sure to cover that. Right? So now you've mutually agreed to the process for today's call. The other reason why it's so helpful to set an agenda up front is because in telling them the agenda, you're also going to tell them what next steps typically look like. Yep. So you'll be like, you know, and we'll get through all this. And then if we both feel like there's a fit, typically next steps in these kinds of situations look like blank. Yep. And you, so you tease it out up front, which makes it really easy when you get to the end of the call to bring up next steps. Cause then it's just a callback at that point. It's not something new. And I see so many reps struggle with like 
how do I, how do I get a follow-up call? How do I figure out next steps? How do I not get ghosted or not get left with like, oh, we'll talk internally and get back to you, right? If you bring it up upfront, then all you have to do at the end is be like, hey, so like, I feel like a fit, there's a fit here. I'm, I'm thinking you do too. And remember earlier we said like, if we feel like there's a fit, a next step would be blank. I feel good about moving in that direction. How about you, right? And now it's just like, it's easier to, to have that conversation at the end of the call. I like it. A few questions. Now, a lot of um, kind of sales trainers and such that have been on the show kind of recommend upfront contracting. I do it in demos. I love it. I'm, I'm a big fan of Sandler training. I rule about upfront contracts. Um, anyway, that aside, um, in terms of, so you've, you've laid out a really good framework for us to kind of put in play there, Rajiv, and kind of outlining what's going to happen, the time time of the, uh, the demo, what you're going to go over, and then talking about next steps looks like X, Y, Z. So I guess it's not a shock when you get to the end of the end of the call and you're saying, look, should we, should we move ahead? And they're like, whoa, why are you pressuring me? Um, yeah. Now, yeah. <laughs> are we giving people an option to drop out too? Um, so are we saying, look, next steps look like X, Y, Z. Um, this is the process. So this is what we might do next. But are we also, are we, do you do this or do you not recommend doing this? Saying, look, if you don't feel this a fit at any time, then feel free to let me know um, and we, we can kind of keep in touch with future, future projects. Is that something you recommend brewing at this stage or would you still yeah, throw, those yeah. kind of strategies? Go ahead and add that into it, right? Like let them know, hey, if, 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 I'm, if I'm feeling like it's probably not a fit, I'll let you know and I'll do my best to point you in the right direction if I can. If you feel like it's not a fit, you know, I'd rather you, you know, you get your time back. So just tell me at any point if you're thinking this isn't going in the direction that you wanted. Gotcha. Right. Give them that like opt out essentially. And that opt out also helps lower their guard and it'll help make discovery easier. Yeah. Nice. Okay. So that's the, that's the agenda up front. And then what, what comes next? Sir? After the agenda you deliver. So you like all these points in this framework, you'd, you'd tell them in the agenda more or less. Yeah. Like, you know, you're not going to say, Hey, I'm going to give you my elevator pitch. Then I'm going to, but you're, you're going to like, be like, you know, what I first want to do is just give you a quick high-level overview of our philosophy here, and then I want to learn more about you, and then I can tell you more about us, essentially. Um, the good agenda framework is, I just call it GVG, give, get, give. Give them something first, get from them, you know, what you need to in discovery that, so that way you can give them more, yep. as opposed to taking right out of the gate. Gotcha. So um, the, the, the point of view statement is next, and this is something that most companies don't even have, but they should. And when I work with companies, it's something that we, we, we work on developing. This is the, this is your opportunity. And it's really just like, you know, 10 seconds long, maybe 15 seconds long to let them know, like, what is your view on the state of like the market or the industry and where it should be going? Your point of view is solely your own. I should like your company's point of view, right? So not like if you have multiple people on your team selling, they shouldn't each have their own point of view. It should be like one company sure. point of view that they're saying here. <laughs> yep. What you're trying to do at, the, at this point is give them an insight into how your company thinks. Give them an insight into the philosophy your company holds. More or less like the why of your company. And so it's a step towards right away it is a step towards, if you will, like indoctrinating them into the, like the religion that is your brand. Right. Because nobody else can share your point of view. Right. Other companies may have similar features, 
they may have a software that does literally the exact same thing, but they don't think about it the same way your company does. So if you can architect that point of view statement up front to let them know like what you believe at your core and where you believe the market should be moving, now you're giving the buyer, you're giving the prospect like a certain angle by which to like start thinking things through. And it's your angle, right? Have you got an example of one, Rajiv, just so we can kind of think of something tangible, maybe a company you've worked with and then you've said, look, because you want to do this, this, this is what the point of view statement should be. Yeah, yeah. So there's a company I've been working with in the e-commerce space for a while. And our point of view statement there is, let me think, see if I can remember it offhand. It's something to the effect of, um, you know, everything we do day in and day out is just a total obsession with e-commerce. We obsess over how do we make sites easier for shoppers to shop on, uh, or how do we make sites uh, more uh, easier for shoppers to shop on and more flexible for retailers on the back end to work with. And so we believe at our core that every retailer should be able to have control over their website. And without that, they're just, you know, they're going to be running in circles. It's some variation on that, right? So we deliver like, hey, we have this obsession with it and we yep. believe in control. We okay. believe in you having control. Yeah, nice. And what's right. nice about that is like, so you deliver that point of view statement and then you say something like, I just want you to keep that in the back of your mind because like, I, I, I want to learn about your situation, but I just want you to keep that in the back of your mind because like any question I ask, like that's the place that it's coming from, just so you're aware. Got it. Right. Just and so now you've, you've like unlocked like any type of question that you could want to ask in discovery. Like it's all okay now. Yeah. Sets the tone for the, the rest of the, the meeting, the call, I guess, quite nicely. Yeah, exactly. Nice. And so that's the point of view statement, which tees up then the discovery. And I don't know if we need to go through discovery. I will say there's like a couple things that I think um, a lot of companies can do better. Um, what I like to say often is like, don't bant me. And I'm not saying don't figure out budget, authority, need, or timeline. What I'm saying is, Sam, I'm sure this happened to you before, like where you've been, you, you're, you're the pro, you're the buyer. And it's very clear that like, they're going through this list of like, okay, are so there any questions. other decision makers involved? <laughs> yeah. Tell me what your pain is. What's your timeline yeah, for this? Yeah, What's yeah, your yeah. budget, right? It's just like, it's so obvious that you're getting banted. Um, just, you know, be able to like do discovery in a way that's more like nuanced and feels natural and actually feels like you're genuinely curious about them. Yeah. Uh, and not just like you're, you know, going through that 20 questions list. No, I completely agree. Completely agree. And we've got, we've got plenty of episodes. Like there's one with Benjamin Dennehy. So if you want to check more about discovery and qualifying prospects, be sure to set, check that one out. We don't need to go into that into too much depth. One question I do have though is how, how come discovery is almost halfway through this process where a lot of kind of processes start with asking questions? How come we've chosen to put that a bit later in the, in the steps? It's still pretty early on. Like discovery okay. will still start like five minutes in roughly because the first two steps are just like, you know, agenda and point of view takes like True. a minute and a half combined. Gotcha. Um, right. It doesn't take that long to get through the, any of that stuff. So discovery is still at like the largest chunk of the call and it is upfront. It's just yep. in this framework, it happens to be third, but like time wise, it's, it's, you know, it's still happening really early on. And Makes I think companies sense. should spend the majority of the call here. Um, I just, and I, and I will say as well, one of the things I often, 
coach teams on is like really being able to like go down the rabbit hole with someone and yeah. like don't dig like five holes like find the hole and, and really just keep digging and digging and digging there and also understand you know sort of like in partnership or tangentially with that also understand that in your discovery process you are trying to create a figure out like what's the bigger picture beyond just like the silo that your software operates in. Yeah. So it's not just like, you know, um, if a company is, I don't know, in like HR or something like that, uh, let's say it's like a, a performance management software. Yeah. It's not solely about like employee reviews. It's about the bigger picture of like, what is their company culture? What are they trying to get their company culture to look like and feel like? What kinds of employees do they want to attract, right? So, and so that way you can then kind of play back to them a story of like, okay, so if I'm understanding this correctly, what you're telling me is that you've got this big initiative. Uh, you're actually doing a big rebrand over the next year. And you want that rebrand to guide the type of talent that's going to be attracted to this company. And it actually feels like then that this employee review stuff is kind of the key to unlocking that because when you want, like when talent's coming here, they got to know that they're taken care of and that it's in line with the ultimate brand that you've built. Am I, am I, am I on point with that? Right. So now you've just attached your software to like the larger situation as opposed to just, Oh, you want better employee review software. Okay. Why do you want that? Oh, because your performance views aren't good. Okay, fine. Hey, we have an employee review software. Yeah. Digging deeper, getting to the root cause, I guess. Charles, the business owner, was feeling frustrated. He was spending a ton of time and money on marketing, yet his website was failing to turn his hard-earned visitors into a steady flow of warm leads. Charles, there is a better way. I've just released my brand new mini book, The No BS Guide to Website Lead Gen. Over the last 10 years, I've launched well over 300 websites and taken companies from zero to hundreds of inbound inquiries each and every month. And I felt it was time to share my juiciest website secrets with you. This guide is straight to the point and full of actionable tips without the fluff that you can put into play on your own website right away. Grab your copy today at websiteleadgenbook.com. Dot com. That's website leadgenbook.com. What I would like to know is, is there one question you love to ask on every discovery call that you think is the killer of all discovery <laughs> questions? Because I've got a couple myself, but I'd like to know yours. I don't know if I have like one killer question. I will say, um, well, maybe I do. I, I, what, I, what I often like to do and, 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 and work with come on is I just call it like qualifying agreement. So I think yeah. most sellers know to qualify like disagree or qualify pain, right? Like, oh, you know, this is an issue. Tell me why that's an issue, right? We, yeah. Most of us know how to do that. What most of us don't think about is can you qualify them agreeing with you? Like, or, or, or them saying something positive and basically get right. them to like, like temper their own response and see how real it is. Mm -hmm. Right? Like, yeah. So like, you know, we we really do want to get a solution in place. Um, you know, like it's, it's a, it's a big priority for us. Really? 
why? Right. Like, and I all, and part of that is all, it all starts like bleed into like timeline stuff too. So, so, so kind of, you come to your point here on like good questions I like to ask timeline. There are two distinct timelines. There's the timeline that got you here and the timeline that gets you there. So I always like to ask and have teams ask, Hey, I'm just curious, how come we're having this conversation today? And we didn't have it like two months ago or, you know, we're not having it like two months from now. Yeah. Cause now they're going to tell you what led up to today and why it's so important. Yeah. And then you can be like, okay, and when do you want to have this live by? And they'll tell you. And then it's like, all right, so um, can you just tell me like what happens then if you, if, you know, if you don't go live by October 1st, what happens then? And now yeah. you're getting, all right. So that's like kind of like another like, qualifying agreement, right? You're getting them to prove to you that what they just said is real and not fluff, or maybe it is fluff. And you're like, and then you'll be able to forecast better. Yeah. Yeah. Right? yeah. So it's like oh, October 1st, but you know, if it gets to like November, mid November, it doesn't seem like it's too much of an issue. Okay. Got it. And do you find Rajiv, if when you ask kind of those trigger questions, like a, you're asking a trigger event question, like why now, why not six months before? Why not next year? Why don't you just hold off for 18 months again? If they're just like, if they don't give a compelling reason, if they don't say, well, we have to hit this deadline because if we don't, we're not going to hit our number for the quota or I have to do this. Otherwise, we're going to lose 10 staff members jobs or I'm going to lose my job. If there's not a compelling reason or something like that and the, the buyer's just like, well, it doesn't really matter. I could do it now. I could do it next year. My CEO said to look at it. If they're not yeah. that fast, do you find they often buy? If you're lucky, if you get really <laughs> lucky, <laughs> they still buy. But if they don't have a real reason behind, you know, if they're, you know, and, I, and I think the cool thing too is it gives you as the, you know, purveyor of the soft, you as the demoer, as the, as the seller, it gives you some ground to stand on to be like, you know, where, what should I do next in this call? Is it worth continuing to pursue or should I be like, okay, you know what? It looks like you're just kind of like, you know, trying to get some ideas right now. So why don't, here, here's a couple things. Let me just show you real quick. And then, you know, you, you can like wrap up in the next five minutes from there. Yeah. I like and, that. And you'd be like, like, if I'm wrong, let me know. But yeah. you know, I'm just getting a sense that you're just trying to get some ideas right now and maybe not, don't necessarily go like too deep into this. That's a really good response. You're almost pushing back on the, the prospect, the buyer to say, look, is, do you really need to do this right now? And I guess if they start pushing back on you, then you know you're, you've got a qualified buyer. Whereas if they're like, just like, meh, just show me the features, then you're like, possibly, yeah. possibly not somebody who's ready to do business right now. Good stuff. Okay, so discovery job done. Mm -hmm. what's, what's next on the, on the agenda? So you get to the end of discovery, which now you're ready to like, so in the give, get, give, you've, you've, now, you've gotten, so now you're ready to give again and you're ready to talk to them about your company. First, so what you do right off discovery is give your company's elevator pitch. This is different than the point of view statement. This is your core value proposition wrapped up in 30 to 60 seconds. Now, the formula I developed several years ago for this that works time and time again with companies, uh, I call it Kepasa, which, you know, you're in the UK. I don't know if you know any Spanish. Uh, are you familiar with any Spanish that you would know what Kepasa means? No, I don't, unfortunately. I know very little Spanish. Okay. <laughs> okay. So the spelling of it in Spanish is Q-U-E space P-A-S-A, que pasa. Okay. And in Spanish, what that means is what's up or what's happening. It's like a, you know, it's a greeting. Um, gotcha. You'd be like, que pasa, friend, que pasa, amigo, that kind of thing. So the que pasa elevator pitch formula um, that I figured out a few years ago 
is, you know, I'm always like, you just got to tell people what's up with your business, right? That's what an elevator pitch is. You're just telling them what's up. P-A-S-A, problem, approach, solution, action. Problem, approach, solution, action. Deliver your core value prop through that framework. Problem, approach, solution, action. Problem, yes. use, problem that exists in the market that your company addresses, your approach to that. Approach is like your, your brand promise. Uh, solution is the what, it's the how, it's like the, you know, it's, it's you essentially backing up the promise. And then action is the call to action, which in this case would be um, essentially being like, does that give you a pretty good understanding, at least at a high level? Yeah. Okay. Now let me tell you more about how that all comes together. Gotcha. Which gets you to the next part, which is, uh, and you know, my recommendation is a slide deck. And this is a really, really like controversial topic because some people are like on, you know, hashtag team never slides, hashtag ditch the deck, all that kind of stuff. Yep. And Gong even, you know, recently released some data showing that like win rates drop when a deck is used on a discovery call. Now I'll tell you, companies I work with, our win rates go up when we use the deck. And I think the reason the industry stat or the overall stat is that win rates drop is because most presentations are terrible. <laughs> and like the ones you've experienced before that you said, they are capabilities decks, right? Yeah. Yeah it's, yeah. it's the product broken out on slides that just talk through features or like slide one will be like, here's our headquarters and here's our client roster. Here's our executive leadership. Right. Here's our product. Here's 10 Here's more how many slides awards we've won. Yeah. This is all oh, yeah. oh my God. Yeah. We've won 20 Webby awards in the last 20 years, all that stuff. So that's no good. What you want is a, is a narrative driven um, sales deck. You want a presentation that paints a picture of change. Right. That tells a story about why it's important to do something and that because you've so, you know, you so well like painted this picture of why it's important to do something, that your company is the logical purveyor of something. Your company is the logical purveyor of change. And so whenever and, and so whenever I build out uh, presentations for companies, the one thing that they can't wrap their head around that once they initially can't wrap their head around, I'm like, just trust me, it'll work, <laughs> is the first 50% plus of the presentation, we have not even like mentioned their product or really their company. The first 50% to 70% is building the situation. So that way you can then say, well, that's what we provide here. And then okay. it just feels like the, again, you feel you're the logical purveyor of change at that point. Gotcha. So how does that, so we've, we've done our discovery session. So I guess we understand kind of the problems or the pain points that they've, the, the prospects experiencing, and we've kind of agreed it's something that we can discuss further and potentially help with. How does that lay into this slide um, demo deck that we're putting together and the kind of 50 to 70% you just mentioned before we even mention our product and we kind yeah. of paint a picture and sell a toy? Roughly, what does that, that look like? So what you're doing in that first half of that deck is like you're like you're building up the reason for change, which includes talking about like market forces currently at play, and it includes 
common challenges you hear given your experience. Right. So what you what you're able to do during this is weave in the things that they said previously on the call. Gotcha. Right. So it just requires the slightest bit of talent in being able to like reference something you heard in the last 20 minutes. Right. And to just be like, you know, and this is this is really similar to what you were telling me before. Right. Um, the you know, what you're accomplishing with that deck is you're, you're trying to gauge their level of emotional buy in. And if they're emotionally bought in, everything else becomes so much easier. And you're also trying to give them an easier way to understand or an easier way to like frame your product in like in their mind. And if you can do that effectively, like the, the technique we always use is we try to figure out whenever possible, we try to figure out what's a analogous scenario or an analogous situation we can come up with to then say, well, that's actually exactly what's like what's happening in the industry today. Right. That if you can come up with that clean analogy, that makes sense. It becomes so much easier, especially if you have a multi-stakeholder deal. It yeah. becomes so much easier for them to explain internally what your company does. And they can even just grab your slide deck and be like, oh, it's, so you know how like, you know how like this, like this Netflix stuff works? It's just like Netflix, right? Okay. And is the, this is probably a, it depends answer, but is there a, um, from your experience, a set amount of slides? Because like we alluded to at the start, there's presentations that just seem to drag on and on and on. From your experience, is there like keep to this slides maximum try and keep this section of the demo demo within kind of X, X amount of minutes, roughly. Um, yeah, and make not, sure you, you know, to... I don't ever think about like, is it too many slides? Cause I always look at like the number of slides that's, it, it should be as many slides necessary to tell a clean and concise and compelling story. Mm. So, you know, like I've worked on presentations that are like 25 slides long, but guess what? Some of the slides you flip through in like half a second, right? It's yep. just like a big picture with one word on it. Mm -hmm. Um, I think, you know, and there's been other ones that have been like 12 slides long. So I just think the key is you got to be like engaging. You got to like, talk. it's got to be a dialogue. It can't just be a one-way monologue throughout. You got to be asking them questions, getting them to relate to it throughout. And you want it to probably be like, I'd say somewhere around like 10 to 15 minutes of time in total. Yep. Okay. That's fine. And then is there, a, from your experience, a good time to introduce product and to then, or to, to, I guess, to link in from that storytelling part to the product itself or your offering and then to pricing and then to kind yeah. of final steps. Yeah. So you'd come off that, like the end of that deck is like talking about the product and then, you know, the success stories you have, all that kind of stuff. And then you use that to, again, so now if they're emotionally bought in, now the actual demo, right, the showing of the software is now just, it's more like a visual wrapper or a visual reinforcement as opposed to having to like prove to them your worth by showing them the software, right? which makes it really easy. And you don't have to show as much, right? You can spend five to 10 minutes here showing them the software instead of spending 30 minutes showing them the software. Yeah. And the technique, whenever possible, that should be employed. And I say whenever possible because this technique will typically only works if there's like multiple users of the product. So let's say like in the, let's say it's a payroll software 
you have like your admin tool, but then there's like what the employees would see, right? Yep. Which is going to be different than the admin tool. So I call it. So anytime you have like that scenario where there's like a back end user and a front end user, you want to employ what I just call the reverse demo technique, which is don't lead with the back end, don't lead with the dashboard. Nobody ever said, oh my God, did you see that admin panel? We have got <laughs> to buy from them, right? Um, instead, lead with the end user experience. Make yourself, turn yourself into the end user of that product and walk through what it's like to have the experience being the end user. When you do that, you are automatically communicating through benefits and results. And then you have to be like, and the best part is, to make it all happen on the back end, it's really just a few clicks. Here, look, you just do this, this, and this, right? And then you've, you've communicated all the value of your software without having to get into every last button. And you know what? If they do have a specific technical question, of course, field that, but you don't have to lead with that by any means. People want to know that what they're buying is not going to confuse them. Yep. So to make, in order to make your software seem as simple as possible and easy to use as possible, Show them what it's like to be the end user of like their that new product that they could have, right? That new world that they could have. Awesome. Awesome, man. Just to take a step back, you mentioned that you need to ensure that your prospect, your potential buyer's got emotional buy-in. Is there any ways, whilst we're doing this, whilst we're doing this full demo from start to end, that we can gauge how emotionally bought in our perspective customers actually are. Is there anything we can do, Rajiv? Yeah. So a couple things. One way to do that is by um, throughout the, throughout the, once you get into like the presentation and then the demo is look to secure micro agreements. So get them to say, does this resonate with you? Yes. Not get them, like ask them. And if they genuinely say yes, great. But then that's where you also want to qualify the agreement and be like, okay, tell me why. Right. Get them to prove to you that the answer they just gave you is legitimate. Right. That's one way to approach it. Yeah. The other way is, or that I, uh, and I really like employing this technique. And again, it's something that, and this is specifically related to the presentation itself. It's really funny because, like, Every company that I've worked with where we build a deck, they have so much like fear and like they freak out that this slide exists. But I always put in a, I call it like the, the choose your path slide where you literally like you, like you lay out the terms of like, Hey, here's where things are moving. Here's some of the challenges in the market. And then you have a slide that's literally like, so what do you want to do about it? Do you want to do things the old way, quote unquote, or pursue the new way? And I'm telling you, 100% of my customers freak out at, at the idea of using this slide. They're like, why would we give them an out? Why would we tell them they don't have to do this, right? Or, or why are we even, or the other, the other argument is, why are we even asking them? Of course they should, right? Yep. And it's like, yeah, of course they should. <laughs> but what you're doing is making them verbalize, yes, the path you have laid forward is the path we want to explore. They're not saying they're going to buy from you in that moment. They're just saying, yes, this is the path we want to keep pursuing. We want to keep exploring this. Yeah. And yeah. I tell you, 100% of my customers freak out at it. 
and then they use it and it works 99.8% of the time. I love this kind of stuff. Um, and I guess if you bring it up with your prospect as well, it's kind of getting them to verbalize if they're, if it actually makes sense. And if they're actually, if they're actually happy to embrace the change that your product can give. And if they don't, then you have like grounds to like pause everything right there and be like, okay, we have to talk through that. Tell me what's on your mind at this point. Right. Mm-hmm. Nice. Okay. So with that said, I think we've covered a, a fair, fair amount of ground. Um, how do we look? I mean, this, do we look to wrap up now? Do we look to present pricing and next steps? Or what's, what do we do towards the end of this demo, Rajiv? Your next steps are crucial to this whole you know, framework, this whole equation, if you will. You cannot leave the call not knowing what's happening next. You've got to create some momentum in the deal. You've got to have a path forward. Mm-hmm. The way I typically see salespeople, founders, reps, et cetera, do this wrong is they will get to the end and they'll be like, okay, great. So it seems like, it seems like you feel like this is a good fit. Tell me like, uh, what are next steps for you? They'll they'll just ask the buyer, what are the next steps for you? The reason why this is a problem question is because you, how do I put it? The buyer does not, know in that moment, typically does not know in that moment, all the things that are involved in their own buying process. They're just not thinking about it like as clearly as they should. Also, you're leaving it up to them to tell you how they, how to buy your software that you're an expert in selling. <laughs> right. And yeah. I see you're nodding. So I'm, I'm sure like this is stuff that <laughs> you, know, you like vibe with as well. And you've been able to like you know, successfully employ. So, it's yeah, you don't want to, you don't want to put it in their lap. Cause you know, what's going to happen 90% of the time is they'll say, oh, we'll, we'll talk internally and get back to you. And then you lose all momentum. Not saying you'll never close a deal, but most of the time, what will happen is they will be like, we'll talk internally, and get back to you. And be like, Oh, how's the week sound? Yeah, it sounds great. And then two weeks go by and then a month and then, you know, two months and they've ghosted you or they're just like, ah, you know what, actually like, you know, we have, we have other priorities that have come up. We'll, we'll address this later. Yeah. And we've all been there, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah, Right. And you lose all power, you lose all leverage, you lose all the momentum that you generate. You know why? Because the second they may give you all the micro agreements, all the affirmations, all the buying signals in that call. But the second that call ends, guess what? Life hits them in the face again. They go back to the browser tab and they see they have 40 unread emails that happened during the time that the call took place. And all these other things take up their headspace again. And so you immediately get deprioritized. So you wanna, you gotta do your part to make yourself the priority. And you have to know that you have more control over the buying process than you think you do. So if you do the agenda right up front, then it's really easy to bring up the next steps. You know, hey, you know, I mentioned earlier this. So, uh, you know, we said typically next next steps are, are, are such and such. Let's go ahead and, and, and plan that out now. And what you want to do is not only say like what should happen immediately next. You know, let's say it's like a, a, a technical call, an implementation call, whatever it might be. You want to also map out for them like what's the next step, and then what are the what are the whatever it is the next two to five steps it takes depending on your sales process that lead to a purchase. Yep. 
is what you're doing for those who are on video who can see this. You're saying, you know, I've got, I've got my hand out with all five fingers here, right? You're saying, hey, here's what it takes to buy our software. And then you're trying to find out. And then you ask, like, how does that align with, with how you like to purchase things? How does that align with your decision-making process? So you give them a framework to respond to. As opposed to an open-ended, what are your next steps? You tell them your steps to, for, sale, for selling to then, for, so that they can start to think critically through what are our steps to buying? And all those little things they forgot that comes out now because they understand like, you know, the sequence. And so yeah. you're trying to figure out, are they here? Are they here? Or excuse me, are they here? Are they here? Or are they here? And so what I just did with my hands for those who were just on audio, it was like, are the hands totally apart? Are they sort of interlacing or are they perfectly interlocked together? Now sure. you have an idea of what's going to, you have a real idea of what's going to happen next. And you can put yourself in the center of all of that. And if it's, you know, if it's, if it's a complete lack of alignment or a slight misalignment, you know what to do to get yourselves on the same page. Gotcha. So let me just throw out two scenarios to wrap things up with here, Rajiv. So sure. I like how it links to kind of the upfront agenda we set at the start saying, look, this is the next, next steps with us. Typically it looks like we do X, Y, Z. And that'll mean that we move forward because this is how we work. We're linking it back at the end. Um, if we've got, let's say, a, a product that's quite a fast sales cycle, and we can actually close the deal there and then, what strategy should we implement if we don't need to do kind of extra steps? Whereas if we, on the flip side, if we've got maybe we're in a more complex kind of selling process and we're dealing with the enterprise and our sales solution maybe takes six to 12 months to, to typically close a deal, um, if they bring up issues, how do we attack that? Looking at both spectrums before we close this out. Yeah, it's actually, this is funny you asked this. This literally just came up yesterday. Um, one of my clients, their APAC team is doing is able to do one call. Like US is totally different, but in APAC, it's like a one call close. And I'm like, okay, there's no need to confuse the situation more by, by adding in extra layers here, right? So in those cases, and you and you'll tend to know you'll tend to know like the buying patterns are for just like going through it a few times. So you'll know like what to say next step should be up front, right? And, and in that case, your agenda at the beginning, you'd be like, you know, hey, typically we come out of these calls like and people have a pretty good idea of what they want to do. So I want to make sure that you have a you have direction. And if you feel good about making that decision, we can start putting together, you know, the the contract or whatever it might be, and you know, ideally get you launched very quickly from there. Right. So that like, don't, don't confuse the situation more if you don't have to. Um, and if you're worried about, Hey, maybe you said, you know, typically a next step is we do another call, but then they're ready to buy at the end of the call. You can be like, um, Hey, you know, earlier I mentioned a next step is, um, doing another call. Seems like you already have everything you need at this point. And I, if you feel like you're ready to just move forward, let's go ahead and do that. I don't necessarily want to have to like take time away from other resources at your company if we don't have to. All right. So you always have like, you always have flexibility. All of these things I'm saying, they're just giving you, I think I had to use the word earlier. They're just giving you like guardrails to stay within or to work off of. Muted myself. I like the fact that you, um, yeah, it's, the, the crux of it is keeping it keeping it simple keeping it clear not confusing yourself or the buyer just letting them know kind of exactly what what could happen next and see if that resonates and and move from there really 
So um, with that, Rajiv, I think that's a great way to, to, to wrap it up. Thanks very much for coming on. Really enjoyed the chat. Really enjoyed the conversation. I found it really valuable. I'm sure everyone tuning in has too. So please do tell us more about how we can learn more from you, how we can connect with you, and the best way to get in touch. Sounds like you're asking, what are my next steps from here? <laughs> so my, ne my next steps coming out of this show, um, you know, if any of this stuff sounds interesting to you, we'd love to talk with you more about it. So you can find me online. Um, StartupHypeMan.com is the website. Um, I've got a podcast myself where we talk with uh, CEOs on different growth strategies. Just type in Startup Hype Man on your podcast player. It'll show up. And then, uh, you know, one of the things we talked about during in this demo framework today was the, that elevator pitch, right? The K-Pasa elevator pitch formula. Um, I've actually got a pretty easy to follow, like four-step guide that maps out in more detail. You know, we only got to talk about it very quickly today, but I've got a really easy to follow guide that maps it out in more detail, um, including examples of K-Pasa elevator pitches and how to create your own. Uh, there's a video in there as well that you can watch uh, that talks through it all. Um, and I think that'll be really helpful, especially for people who were listening and wanted to dig in deeper to that. Or if you were listening and, you know, maybe you're a normal podcast listener and you don't like allocate time out of your day to do nothing but listen to a podcast. Like maybe you're cooking dinner while listening to this, or maybe you were, you know, shopping at the grocery store or, or at the gym or something like that. So if you want to sit, if you want to really like understand that part of the material, um, I've just put together a, a, a link for your audience, Sam. So it's uh, startuphypeman.com slash Sam hyphen Dunning. Startuphypeman.com slash Sam hyphen Dunning. Awesome, man. We'll put all of those links over in the show notes at businessgrowth.marketing. And with that, I want to thank you once again for coming on, Rashid. Appreciate you having me. Thank you for the time. No worries, dude. And if you enjoyed the show, as always, be sure to hit subscribe. We interview business leaders each and every week to provide actionable tips across marketing, across sales, or the idea to help you grow your business and grow your sales revenue. And with that, we shall catch you on the next episode. Are you tired of hunting for clients? You could be missing out on regular inbound opportunities, all because your website isn't on the first page of Google. Perhaps you're already spending money on marketing, but your website is failing to convert your hard-earned visitors into a consistent flow of leads and sales. Want to learn more about WebChoice's unusual approach that brings idle clients straight to you? Book a free digital marketing assessment today at webchoiceuk.com. That's webchoiceuk.com.